All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning and happy new year. Um, so it's kind of weird to say happy new year because it's January 15th. And uh, I don't know how we got here, but we're like halfway through the month of January already. But this is our first time to gather uh, in person in 2023. So uh, I feel like it's important to say Happy New Year, even if it feels like that was a, a little while ago. So Happy New Year. Um, it's good to be together again. Uh, we always uh, have these reminders uh, that we do not go to church. We are the church. And one of those was last week when we got here and the power was not on. And the power was not on pretty much all day here in Davis last Sunday. So thank you for being flexible and rolling with the punches. And again, these, these little reminders that we get from time to time that we, uh, the church is not an event that we go to, a place that we go to for an hour on Sunday morning, but it is a family. It is a community. It is a mission that we are a part of. All right. Um, we are uh, today, we were supposed to do a two-part a uh, conversation to start our year off called Fresh Starts, and we're going to do that in one week um, here this morning. But before we get to that, I want to say that, man, I, it's the new year, and I am really excited about what lies ahead for us. And in particular, the next couple of weeks, we are going to spend some time talking about our vision as a church, who we are and what we are doing here in Davis and beyond. And we typically don't say things like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. These are the kinds of, of Sunday morning gatherings where, where we really want you to be here. And I just said that uh, church is not a thing that we go to, it's who we are, right? But there are these moments throughout the year where you don't want to miss these Sundays. And the next three conversations, the 22nd, 29th, and 5th, are definitely going to be conversations that you don't want to miss. So that is what lies ahead for us, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into, uh, we'll get into our conversation. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be able to gather and after a couple of weeks uh, apart, time spent maybe even in different parts of the country or, or the world, to be able to gather in this place, to worship, to sing, to take communion, to hear from your word, to say hello, to shake hands, to give hugs, to drink coffee, all these beautiful things that we get to participate in on Sunday morning, God, we are grateful for that gift. We, uh, we do know that it is a new year, and, and even if we're a couple of weeks into it already, Father, we recognize that we come into this moment with very high expectations for what this new year holds and, and what we're going to accomplish. But whatever it might be, wherever we are at this morning, God, I just ask that you would hold those things for us so that we can be fully present here in this moment, that you would tune our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us that we would receive it, and God, would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, meet me in John chapter 8. John is in the New Testament, one of the stories or accounts of the life of Jesus. As you're looking that up, one other just sort of business thing that I wanted to uh, share with you guys today um, <clears throat> is an update on our giving. So this last year, 2022 we saw a 7% increase in giving here at Discovery over the, the previous year, which is really cool. Yes. Always clap for that. 
Um, but there's a couple of things within that I think that are, are, are really big. One of them is just that we had a great December, a, a really nice end of the year. But the number of givers has increased, a 28% increase in the number of people who, as Janine just talked about a moment ago, are participating in our mission through giving of their resources. So I think that's a beautiful thing. It's really, really encouraging uh, to us. And I just wanted to say thank you as we start a new year for your generosity in 2022. One of the things that has always uh, stood out to me in the four and a half years that I've been the, the pastor here is just the incredible generosity of this community. So thank you for that. Your, your example in that is, is amazing. All right, John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 2 through 11. And then we're going to spend some time talking about this together here before we come, to, uh, we come to communion. So verse 2 begins like this. At dawn, he, this is about Jesus, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Nothing like starting the new year off with a conversation about sin. But, you know, from time to time, people will say, well, I'll get this little bit of feedback every now and then that's basically something to the extent of, I wish that we talked more about sin. And, and you know, that, that may sound a little funny to some of us, but, but I think that it comes from a particular place. It, it comes from a place where there's certain convictions about what is supposed to happen in church on Sunday morning and, and, and sort of a perspective on who we are as human beings. So I want to unpack that here for just a moment. I think there's a, a certain theological perspective in this statement. I wish we talked more about sin. That, that, that says we can only understand how good God is if we first recognize how bad we are. Okay, there's a certain theological perspective that says we can only understand how good God is if we recognize how bad we are. I think there's also within this a particular view of human beings. Okay, and I think this, it's actually a pretty low view of human beings. It's this idea that we forget how sinful we are and we, we need to be reminded. So we go to church on Sunday morning to listen to some person tell us how bad we are. And then finally, I think within that comment, there's also an understanding of what sin is, and it typically comes down to rule breaking, right? That there's this list of things that you're not supposed to do, and when you do them, you are sinning. Now, I want to address this for a moment because I think this helps serve as a backdrop to the conversation we will have. First of all, there are definitely places in Scripture where it is argued 
that, in particular, the Old Testament rules, or what, or what the writers of Scripture call the law, they're there as a way to help us see that we don't measure up, right? Romans 3.20, a great example of this. We cannot justify ourselves, prove ourselves, save ourselves, and the law helps reveal this. However, however, the larger theme and scope of Scripture is not about how sinful human beings are. It is about how good God is. The overarching theme of Scripture is about his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love. The Bible begins Genesis chapter 1. It is good, it is good, it is good. And it ends Revelation 21 and 22 with it is good again. The story begins with goodness and the story ends with goodness. Within that, absolutely, we talk about how, the, how we fall short. But the bigger picture, the overall theme of Scripture is about the overwhelming goodness of God. Second, we try to have a higher view of people here at Discovery, believing that most of us are already pretty in tune with the ways that we fail. And this does not mean that we don't have blind spots that need to be pointed out, but we believe that those blind spots are best sort of brought into the light and unpacked in the context of community, of relationships, through discernments, through the Holy Spirit speaking and moving in our lives. We do not need to get berated by a pastor on a Sunday morning to feel bad about ourselves. Amen? <laughs> Finally, I just, I just kind of eliminated part of my job, I guess. Finally, we, we try. We've been working here at Discovery for, for a number of years now at, at fostering a larger understanding of what sin is. This idea, or this truth, really, that, that sin is not just about breaking the rules. That's part of it. In the Venn diagram, there's overlap there for sure. But sin is much more, I would actually argue, complex and deeper and insidious than that. Because it's relational. It's about relationships. It's about the ways in which we have broken right relationship with God, what the Old Testament writers call shalom, right? Peace, flourishing, the way that God intended things to be. We messed that up, not because we broke a rule, but because we rejected relationship with our God, our creator. Again, I think this is just, a, it's more nuanced, but actually a more convicting understanding of sin. So here at Discovery, we, we don't spend a ton of time telling you how bad you are. But rather, we want to ask these questions that we all wrestle with together. Questions like, do our actions, our thoughts, our words, our choices, our lives, do they reflect this kingdom of right relationships, the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about and taught about over and over again? Are we moving towards shalom, flourishing, and redemption? And I want us to sort of hold this idea of moving towards and moving away now as we get into this, this scene here in John chapter 8. This is where it all comes together. The scene begins with Jesus having an early morning teaching session. He's at the temple, which means that he's in Jerusalem. The, he's in this big crowded city and he's in a very public place in the morning. These are these little details that are so important. This is a moment of high traffic. So lots of people, very public moment. As he is teaching, the religious authorities drag out a woman who has been caught in adultery. By the way, there, there are lists, right, of things that we do on the list of ten in adultery. They bring her to Jesus, 
in this moment at the temple in the morning to cause a scene. Right, verse 6 says they were doing this in order to test him, trap Jesus. And we're kind of falling right into the middle of the story here. If you know the story of Jesus, he gets in trouble with religious people, religious authorities all the time. And within the larger scope of Scripture, there was this hope that had been building for thousands of years that God would send a, a person, a Savior, the word that they used was Messiah, who would come and save God's people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, from oppression. In this moment in time, the people of Israel living under the oppression of Rome. They've been looking for a Messiah. Jesus had kind of been making some allusions to the fact that this is who he is. People were starting to think that, that, that might be him. The religious authorities do not like the way that Jesus is going about doing this. And so they've been trying to build their case against him. They're hoping here that Jesus will not interpret the law, the rules, the same way that they do, which in their eyes would be significant evidence that he's not the real deal, not the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Now, this is the scene, Jesus teaching morning, public, uh, public moments. They bring out this woman who's been caught in adultery. There's a lot of issues, though, with their approach to trying to trap Jesus. I'm sure, I'm hoping anyway, that you, you're thinking of some of these issues, even as we read through the scene a moment ago. First question we should be asking is, how did they know that she was committing adultery? Like, it's a weird thing to sort of know that, you know, it's happening in real time, right? You usually find out about these things, like, after the fact. Bunch of theories about, about this. Some, some think that they were spying, which is super creepy. Others wonder, and I think this is actually a pretty good one. Others wonder if the affair was happening with one of the religious leaders. And so they had this inside information about what was going on, which raises the question, the second question we should be asking, which is, where is the dude? Right? It takes two to commit adultery. And, and maybe more importantly, according to the rules, the man would have been just as guilty as the woman. Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So... Something's missing here. And then finally, this, this question of the timing. Why did they pick this moment? Well, they, they picked it very strategically. In the morning, at the temple, this was all about trying to maximize this woman's shame and Jesus' public humiliation and downfall. This is public shaming and humiliation played to the hilt. And it might be easy for us to think, wow, man, these people 2,000 years ago, they were so cruel, they were so backwards. How could they do this to her? But we still do this kind of stuff, right? We don't have the temple courts, but we do have Twitter and other forms of publicly shaming people. Now, I've heard from time to time preachers rail against cancel culture. And it usually goes something like this, like, oh, man, can't say that anymore, I'll get canceled. Which is like a weird lament, right? That, oh, we used to be able to say whatever we wanted and no one would hold us accountable. That's a bummer. 
that we can't do that anymore. Right, like that's a weird, that's a weird thing to say. I actually think that there are some good things that have come out of, of cancel culture. There are our movements, right, that have allowed the oppressed, the abused, the powerless, the silenced to have a voice and to bring justice to those who have abused and oppressed and silenced. That's good. Scripture makes this clear over and over again. There are some things that need to be canceled. But that being said, I do think that we have a spirit of shaming in our cultural moments that is drag people out of bed in the morning and bring them to the temple. But we drag people in very public ways all the time. And it is rare, at least in my observation, it is rare that public shaming leads us closer to shalom and flourishing. Doesn't mean we don't speak prophetically, doesn't mean we don't call out stuff, but public shaming very rarely leads to shalom and flourishing, which, which means that we have a lot to learn here from Jesus and how he reacts to this test. He does this very weird thing. He, he, he bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. Again, a lot of interesting theories about what is going on here. Is Jesus writing out the Ten Commandments? Is he listing out the sins of the Pharisees? Is he writing the woman's name? This is the one that I like. Sort of humanizing her. What he writes isn't all that important. I think the author would have told us if we really needed to know that. What is more important here is his posture. To me, it's really interesting that he goes down and writes in the dirt. And when you think about even the words that we use to talk about these heated moments, what do we say? We say riled up, fired up, like we go up. Jesus goes down and he writes in the dirt. He doesn't raise his voice. He stays relatively quiet. He doesn't have a lot to say, but he's not disengaged either, right? He's still there. He's present. He's writing whatever it is that he's writing, but he's not feeding the fire. He is what um, some people call a non-anxious presence. Jesus offers a non-anxious presence. This is a heated, intense moment. It was physical. It was shameful. There were strong emotions. There was lots of yelling. There were a lot of people. And Jesus sort of brings it down. And you get the impression, I don't think this is, who knows if this is how it happened, but you get the impression that as he's down there writing in the dirt, the yelling, like it stopped, it kind of like uh, the intensity goes down, there's fewer people doing it. There's always that one guy who's still yelling, who's like, when do I get to throw the rock? But for the most part, it gets quieter and quieter. And then when that calm moment comes, Jesus makes this very interesting statement. Verse 7, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Which is fascinating because he doesn't say don't stone her. Right? Like that's the thing that you're expecting Jesus to say. Is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're not stoning anybody here, not now. He says, go ahead. Throw, throw the first stone. But only, but only if you are without sin. 
kind of a risky thing to do if you think about it, right? Like in most mobs, there's again, there's always going to be that one person who's like, I'm throwing the rock anyway. But not, not this crowd. Jesus knew his audience well here. This was a group that would never publicly admit to perfection. In fact, they probably all knew about one another several ways in which they had violated the law, not the least of which, of course, is the manufactured uh, moment that they just made right here. This is Jesus owning them. Like, this is the most ultimate kind of, like, gotcha of all time. And so they slowly start dispersing. The oldest first, which is fascinating. This is a good conversation for your neighborhood communities. Like, why did the old ones leave first? But whatever the order, one by one, you, just, you, you can almost like hear, and then it's just Jesus and the woman. Woman, he says, where are they? What a great question. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Fresh start. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Lots of things going on in this scene and in this story. Jesus offers us here, I think, a, a model for navigating our contentious culture. Right, that non-anxious presence. He doesn't immediately react. He, pro he provides this space. He diffuses the intensity of the moment. And I think this is the most important part. In doing so, he opens up new possibilities. It, it isn't just, whoa, let's not stone anybody. It's this whole new thing. This whole new conversation that comes out of this. He offers a fresh start, obviously, for this woman. No condemnation, but also go and sin no more. He also, and I think it was actually one of our interns that pointed this out as we were, we were prepping for this. This is a fresh start for the Pharisees. Jesus, in other parts of the story, will give the Pharisees the business. Matthew 23, a great example of this. But here, here they have the option of starting over. Now, what is interesting to me about this scene, and here's where I want us to land, and, and I want us to sit with this for just a moment here as we get ready for communion. But what's interesting to me about this scene is that at the end, this woman who did not ask for any of this, right? But it's the woman who's with Jesus, and it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who walked away. It's the woman who's with Jesus, and it's the Pharisees who walked away. By the way, just kind of a fun side note, there, there's, the woman is never named in this story, but some people think that this is one of the Marys that we see at the end of the story, who's still there, going to the tomb, who's one of the first people to see the resurrected Jesus. The woman is still there, the Pharisees have walked away. I think that this is... This is the question for us as we begin a new year is where are you in this story? Which direction are you moving? Is it away or is it with Jesus? What I love about the, uh, the woman, again, is this was not her best moment. This was not a pretty scene. This was not 
uh, again, even something that she was looking for, but she's with Jesus. As we mentioned before, we, we come into a new year maybe with all kinds of different feelings, thoughts, expectations, hopes, dreams. Maybe we're just recovering <laughs> from the way 2022 ended. Are you with Jesus or are you moving away? Are you walking away from grace and love and mercy and no condemnation or are you with him? And I'm going to assume for a moment that we all either are or want to be with Jesus. And so I think a couple of follow-up questions for us. Uh, the way that Jesus <clears throat> responds to this woman is so, so interesting, right? Where have they gone? No condemnation, right? Neither do I condemn you, but also go and leave your life of sin. So on the one hand, no condemnation. This is Jesus' mission, John 3.17. This is why he came. In what ways, again, as we begin with you, have you internalized the voice of shame? Are you allowing a voice of condemnation to speak louder than the voice of Jesus? What does it look like for you? What's one really practical thing that you can do to live into the good news of a fresh start? Neither do I condemn you. But then the other side of that response, right, is go and sin no more. What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to let go of? In this relational understanding of sin, is there a relationship that needs to be restored? A conversation that you need to have. Again, what is the next step? What's like one practical thing that you can do? that leads towards shalom and healing and flourishing. We're going to close our time together singing a few more songs and, and taking communion. There's the stations up here uh, in the front and then those uh, kind of in the middle. We're also going to have um, on in your life. There will be a couple of us over here and a couple over there. But whenever you're ready this morning, come to the table, which is this very tangible, clear reminder Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So I'm going to pray, but as I pray and as we get ready for communion again, what side of that do you need to spend a little bit more time with? No condemnation. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, <laughs> we recognize that there's um, just some incredible layers to this story and this scene. The story of this woman, the story of the religious leaders, the way that Jesus interacts with and diffuses the intensity of this situation, it's quite beautiful. Within this scene, Father, this really incredible good news. Neither do I condemn you. And so we are grateful for the grace, the freedom, the fresh start that you offer us through your son, Jesus. God, also this challenge, 
Now go and leave your life of sin. And so, Father, I pray that we just have a moment here to recognize where we fall short, to recognize the things that we need to leave behind so that we can move into the fresh start that you offer us. Thank you, God, for Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his body and blood broken and poured out that we can have relationship with you. That we can have this moment down in the dirt where you look us in the eye and say, neither do I condemn you. Here's, here's something better. Here's a better story bigger adventure, a fresh start. We pray all this today in Jesus' name.